here again and welcome to the lockdown time machine a podcast that i'm making especially just for you where i ask people way more interesting than me to go back to roughly this time in history and pick out a film or films that were playing at my cinema the picture house in uckfield Uh, i sent everyone i've spoken to a great big spreadsheet with every film over i think it was april may and june from 1964 to the present day. It was a very big spreadsheet. And uh, I'm really thankful to everybody uh, that's joined in and, and had a trawl through it. Um, and as we're currently closed, I wanted to do something to keep us alive in people's minds uh, so they don't forget us and uh, provide uh, our fans, so to speak, with some entertainment. Because there are nothing like enough podcasts in the world. We need way more podcasts than there are. Uh, So just for you, here's another one. Um, This week, I talked to radio presenter, producer, writer, documentary maker, Peter Curran. Um, Peter grew up in Belfast and started broadcasting in the early 90s, presenting a show on the BBC station GLR. The show ran for six years and featured live performances from the likes of Radiohead, Foo Fighters and just about everybody else really. Uh, he presented BBC London's The Big Picture and reviewed films for Sight and Sound. Peter's won many awards and gone on to make loads of documentaries for radio and television, too numerous to list here. Uh, he's probably best known at the moment for the wonderful Bunk Bed on Radio 4, which he writes and appears in with the playwright Pete, um, Patrick Marber. If you haven't heard it, I suggest you get over to uh, BBC Sounds and download it as a podcast. Make sure you click on the podcast uh, tab because it's all hiding in there. It's an absolute joy. Um, I first met Peter when he came to my cinema along with Patrick Marber uh, and introduced Martin Scorsese's classic um, The King of Comedy during our centenary year in 2016. As usual, the talk ended up meandering all over the place, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? Uh, I hope you enjoy I'll uh, speak to you again at the end. Okay. So, yeah, what I mean, really, the first sort of thing I don't know we've been talking about is are people going to come back? Are they coming back to the cinema? Are they? Tell me they are, please. Oh, they have to. I mean, because cinema's one of those. 
things we're almost hard hardwired for now, aren't we? You know that idea that it's ritualistic. I don't want to big you up in a quasi-religious way, Kevin, but there is a a, a certain degree of uh, reverence and uh, kind of sac- sacred um, cultural engagement when you go to the cinema, uh, and you uh, once the lights go down, then you're you're in for that other place that you want to head to. That's far away from what's outside. So, yeah, I, I don't think people are going to be able to stop themselves. I think in a lot of ways, um, pro- people probably will use the the screen a lot more for staying in touch. Perhaps, mm. you know, if you're going to meet a friend that you would see maybe three times a year and because they don't warrant the our journey there, our journey back, um, maybe half an hour, but... Um, you would uh, you would actually stay in touch with them more often. We can stay in touch with those people who who um, uh, were too lazy to go and see um, on a on a on a regular basis and don't want to spend money on dinner, um, catching up with. But you really like them, and I think that'll happen a lot. But I, I think uh, maybe we will be much more respectful of places like cinemas and those sort of uh, cultural moments that uh, you know a communal experience happens to sound like a a two-bit cheap back of the daily mirror sociologist i like the sound of it i think i, I agree with I, I i endorse this message <laughs> um yeah well obviously i think so but um you know and it's it's really depressing wandering around my cinema with no people in it and it's quite heartbreaking to be honest you know i have to go and run the projectors every now and again just to sort of keep it all ticking over and it's it's horrible it's meant to echo to the sound of you know of movies and people laughing and, and enjoying themselves. I mean, that may sound a little romantic, but, you know, that's what it's designed for. Please tell me you haven't watched Cinema Paradiso during no. lockdown. <laughs> I can't watch the end of that. I just can't. I, oh, it's, it's, <laughs> well, I, I, I saw it about 10 days ago, and the, the, effect, the effect is undimmed, total uh, heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. I have some kind of condition which um, I'm thinking of getting help for where I recall films and I start emoting. I just can't stop myself. So if I start to talk about Cinema Paradiso in any meaningful way, I'm sorry, uh, uh, game over. He's he's going, folks. He's going. No, absolutely. If I start to describe the end of Spartacus, it's fatal. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) If I start to say, I love you, Spartacus, like the father I shall never see, and I start off, I go. It's horrible. Oh, dear. Oh, it's, only, it's only your teenage lust for Gene Simmons that uh, yeah. keeps you from <laughs> entirely breaking down. I don't know. I think because, yeah, I don't, maybe it says, yes, maybe there's something missing in my life. I don't know. I need to. I think it must be really, I, I have total sympathy for you, and I think it must be the strangest thing in the world to be walking around your own empty cinema and do you sit down in the auditorium or, or is that a bit yeah. too risky emotionally no no i do i'll sit there and we'll put because so, unfortunately with the new technological uh, miracle of digital cinema uh, you can't run a film without uh, a separate digital key which the distributor owns and will not let you have outside of the licensed running hours oh, okay so we can't sit there and watch old films i've got tons of films on the server but i can't watch any of them because they won't play um so wow. I know. So there's nothing I can run other than, you know, adverts. <laughs> your your favourites? Yes, adverts and trailers. 
I thought, these are going on a bit. I'm not, I've suddenly turned into one of my punters. I said, 25 minutes of this? What's the matter? When's it ever going to end? Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, 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 yes, I find, I find a lot of cinema too much to bear sometimes, which is, uh, yeah, something says something about me, I think. I just, I just off, off I go. If I think, I remember reading. Um, it was Roger A. Ebert, I think, said that, and it had never occurred to me before. This is some years ago, that we we find cinema emotional. Not usually. When, I mean, if people are being horrible to one another or suffering, that can be emotional. But actually, the, what really stirs us is when people love each other in movies. Mm. When they say, "I love you," that's that's the bit. That yeah. <laughs> Yes, you just feel oh, all the walls yeah. collapsing yes. inside. Yeah, <laughs> you know, at the end of Schindler's List, it's when they show him their love for him at the end. Yeah, that 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 actually is the the release, isn't it? That Spielberg has kind of built up over the last three hours for you. Listen, I don't know about you. I even found um, going to see films with the kids, um, ostensibly children's films, in the nineteen nineties when they were small. My knuckles were going white on the arms of the chair to stop myself from sobbing because um, it was just it was almost overwhelming. Um, they were kind of uh, not, not nearly as caught up in the emotion of the situation as I was. Well, Toy Story 3 is a very famous uh, um, film for having this devastating effect on men of a certain age because mm. the very last well, towards is the very last scene where he hands the toys over. Yeah. to the little girl it's 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 men particularly apparently found that almost unbearable to watch yeah i don't know i i felt quite detached at that point kevin yeah <laughs> yeah for for you know and that's obviously that there's a flaw in me somewhere um, you didn't respond in the same way no no i i i i became cynical about the um cuteness in the face of the little girl that the toys were being given to and I, I thought I was sitting, totting internally, saying, listen, this moment is big enough without you making her so cute. That's what a horrible individual I am. Well, no, I could see that now. And I think, and often, but but often I'm powerless because uh, I, I, I mean, I see a lot of movies, you see a lot of movies, and, and actually we're all very uh, literate, aren't we? We understand how movies work. And I can sit there and I'll say, oh, I, know, I can see what you're doing here. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Yeah, you're going to do that, aren't you? And then you're going to do that. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, you did it, you bastard. It kind yeah. of, it's almost like it's like a probe going into your, you know, you're powerless against it. Absolutely. And, it, and it's weird, um, that stuff that you have to keep, maybe it's the, all the stuff that we have to keep, a lid on in you know daily life when you when you're in that sort of dark room and stuff on the big screen and stuff um it it starts to bubble up there's something some kind of um you become a bit more porous uh than you would be you know out and in, in, in the daylight and um your 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 like feelings it's like a horror movie isn't it? it's a vicarious way of having that emotion without it presenting you with any any jeopardy or any um any real problem in your in your life so you can experience it without it actually causing your wife to get up and go what's the matter with you <laughs> yeah i didn't sign up together. for this <laughs> blubbering nonsense <laughs> so yeah and 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 i you know actually the, the one i always i always use as an example of the most cynical manipulation that just is is hollywood cynical manipulation at its peak Yet somehow it gets me every bloody time is Field of Dreams. 
and you think i know what you're doing here you're absolutely doing this and you and not only are you doing it's like tantric blubbing isn't it because it's coming it's coming it's coming no yeah yeah he hasn't said dad yet no yeah (laughs) (laughs) hold hold There will be people listening to this that haven't seen Field of Dreams, yes, so we, yes. we, um, I, we should maybe give them a little thumbnail sketch of of the very of the moment you're talking about. Well, it's when he 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 finally because uh, you know he he suspects he's, you'll start me off. You will start me <laughs> off. It's just a baseball movie. I know, but it's a it's it's the great American metaphor, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, uh, he builds a baseball uh, field, doesn't he? And and all these old baseball players come back. Um, one of which is his father as a young man. Yeah, and it's it's um, it's brilliant script writing actually because the very first the two first the two first words in the entire script are my father. Wow, which is just you know he says my father played it, baseball blah blah yeah. blah blah blah. Oh, yeah, even you've got me going now. <laughs> <laughs> and then right at the end he says dad, doesn't yeah. he? As yeah. he, the ghost of his father effectively is is leaving. He goes, Dad, do you want to play ball? He's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know, I know. And, you know, and that's that thing. Not only it's almost regaining lost time, isn't it? That very thing that haunts us. You know, th- time is gone forever and, and people that are gone forever. It, it is incredibly powerful. It is. But it's cynical as well at the same time, is it? I don't know. Maybe the writer wasn't being cynical. But... Are you suggesting that uh, people make <laughs> movies for money? I certainly yeah. hope not. I am. I am. <laughs> so we were going to talk about um, what were we going to talk about? Nineteen eighty or was it three? I think nineteen eighty three. Tootsie and Tootsie the missionary. And missionary. Which mm. is, what I've got here, look, I'll show you, listener. Um, I've got all the books here. Look, I don't know if I've ever shown you these before. No, look. wow, are they fantastic? Yeah, yeah. Look so at and, and proper proper pen. Oh, that is a ledger yeah. and a half, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, so this is uh, this is the 1980s, and then I've got the 70s, and and we go all the way back to 1964, when we took over here, uh, when I was what, barely two years old. So, but you have a background in cinema, which I don't really know much about. Do tell. Uh, well, um, my actor, I mean, as a what? Well, in the exhibition side of the industry. I oh mean. yeah, yeah, yeah. My my um, great grandfather. Um, opened the uh, first talking cinema in Ireland, a cinema that sold talking pictures. Actually, he opened it in 1916 in Belfast. It was called the Lyceum. And uh, in 1925, I think a couple of years before, the Jazz Singer, which is, you know, cited as the first talking picture, there was a kind of Betamax system uh, of talking pictures. Um <laughs> that it was called the forest phono system and it cost cost an absolute fortune and he spent a mint um getting this installed so he was showing kind of half hour movies uh shorts um in 1925 with talk with synchronized sound on them yeah, but it wasn't the system that eventually it wasn't it was i think it was co- cumbersome there might have been discs involved yeah i can relate to that i had betamax I had uh, <laughs> I had a square reel. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I invested in B or BSB as it was at the time. Um, oh, did you Re- yeah. actually invested in it? Oh no, 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 no! I mean, uh, I invested in the the hardware and bought yeah. BSB. 
1983 sounds yeah here we go wow so the 28th of january my 28th of eight i have to count i'm still my cse maths lets me down i have to count the months if it says four i have to go january february march I, it took me three times to get a C at O level math, so I'm I'm right there with the, on the sort of caveman. Keep it simple. So what I mean that was a uh, enormous grid of movies I, that I've sent everybody, which is everything in this sort of March, April, sort of, uh, April, May, June period from 1964 up to more or less the present day. And and I have to say, quite a lot of people are alighting on the early 80s. This seems to be the. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I've I've joined no, the no, no, herd. Let's run to there. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. It, it, yeah. it, it, I'm sure there's a study we could do about why that moment is age, probably, is the, is the unifying factor here. Um, but uh, Tootsie and the Missionary, 28th of uh, April, 1983. And, and uh, the Tootsie did really, really well. But we'll start with the Missionary. So that did, uh, we can see it here. So um, 328 admissions in seven oh. days. Oh, that, that's a bit light. And uh, it took four hundred ninety-nine pounds and thirteen pence. So again, wow. my CSE maths is not going to enable me to work out what the price per head was. And how, how much would it have um, cost your uh, cost you and your dad to exhibit that, Kevin? Uh, Missionary was a British film, so they wouldn't have been able to charge excessive terms. So that would have been around thirty percent, twenty-five to thirty-five percent of the box office, as of it were, the, of the net box office after VAT. Yeah, right. Okay. So, which is why your popcorn's so expensive because we have to, we have yeah. to, we have to recoup on your sweeties. If That's you were, <laughs> if if you were a cowboy, you would be called Slim Margins. Charles Fortescue, missionary, has been called back to London to the polite society he left behind. All I would ask is that you come dancing with me tonight, Tebra. To the woman he loved. Very, very clever girl. I just want to get married, that's all. And to the most perilous mission of his career. How are you with women? I beg your pardon, sir. I know you're good with Africans, but how are you with, 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 with women? Find out why they do what they do and stop them doing it. Handmade Films presents The Missionary. All right. The story of one man chosen to lead 28 women of the night down the paths of righteousness. Now then, Reverend, what's your problem? To succeed in his mission, he will have to pray for more than guidance. You're a nice-looking fella. He will have to pray for strength. Shh, be asleep. Deborah. Michael Palin. You look absolutely marvelous. I'm Emily. The maid, sir. Oh. Maggie Smith. A-G-O-N-Y. Trevor Howard. Who do I really hate? Missionaries. The missionary. <laughs> he gave his body to save their souls. Oh, dear. <laughs> but um, I don't know. When, when did you last see the missionary? I'm curious. Did you have you seen it recently? Yeah, do you know I I actually watched it so before coming on to talk uh, to you. So did for I. This. So uh, did be, I. Because strangely enough, although I can remember uh, Tootsie almost scene yeah. by scene, and know that I absolutely love the missionary, and remember the feelings I had watching it, and how how lovely and how clever it was, uh, and funny. 
I really did need a refresher. You didn't. Oh, I did. I really did need a refresher. Yeah, because the individual, I could remember the feelings, but not the scenes. Right. How did you find it? I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it held up really well. Yeah, it did. I was very surprised. I sat through it this morning, if I'm honest. Um, It was quite not that easy to find. Uh, If you want to find it, it's on BFI Player. I don't know how you found it, but yeah, that that, I I went there too. Yeah, Yeah. it seems to be the only place that you can you can rent it for about three pounds fifty. And the print's a bit weird. It goes all sorts of strange colours after a while. But uh, yes, yeah, Maggie Smith's face kind of uh, goes through various. Yeah, well, it changes with her dress. It does. <laughs> but so made in 19, what was it 80? Yeah, oh, we just said it, didn't we? It came out in 1983. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of, I don't know. What do you think? Did you, I, I don't think we'd see a film like that going out in the cinema anymore. Do you? What a shame that we don't. It's really strange because in the era of um, these very strangely popular Julian Fellows, you know, mm. uh, full historical country house dramas. The missionary has all the kind of richness and English manners. It's done so beautifully. You know, it's it's styled, it's framed uh, to do justice to those big houses and that decor and that sense of ceremony. Um, and yet you just get these fantastic lines in, in, in the script when... Um, He's been escorted back after his 10 years in Africa as a missionary and the father of his putative bride is talking about his wife dying and the pale and characters commiserating. And <laughs> the father said, she, yes, yes, she loved ice skating. And Michael Palin just says really sympathetically, what a shame she didn't learn how to swim. But yeah. it's done. It's done in that wonderfully kind of straight, respectful way. It's not kind of butum at all. And I thought, gosh, this was actually a very sophisticated piece of work. I think this is that's what makes it work. Actually, is because it's not a spoof of costume dramas at all. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think they work when they do that. When when people affect, hey, set Freddie, you really are the limit, and they're spoofs of those sorts of things. Yeah. Not a spoof at all. It's actually got its own agenda. I think. It's actually a sort of gentle kind of um, rebuke to that class, isn't it? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And and general kind of, uh, you know, a British hypocrisy and and um, sense of morality. But uh, yeah, I love that line. Uh, what is it? Denham Elliott says, uh, "Find out what they do and stop them from doing it." <laughs> <laughs> He's not even entirely sure what it is. He just knows that they should stop it. But I suppose we. <laughs> slightly describe the plot which is about a missionary in what is it about 1902 1903 yeah back from africa and he's going to marry the vicar's daughter well he's a, he's a, he's a he's a he's a priest himself do they call him a priest i suppose I a curate know. perhaps maybe or i don't yeah. know well he, yes i didn't hear the um he's got a very thick collar yeah uh, not not the usual kind of uh micro collar that's sported no. by catholic priests of the time but it's michael palin doing his um it recalls Sir Galahad, doesn't it, from my from from uh, uh, Holy Grail? I think that kind of yeah, terribly slightly sort of apologetic, slightly embarrassed by everything, sort of thing. yeah. And I suppose something that he went on to de- develop with um, ripping yarns, the, yeah, the TV series he did with Terry Terry Jones, yeah, definitely a big big whiff of um, uh, uh, ripping yarns in it. But it, it um, so he then gets set up in this. He's, he's supposed to help fallen women, isn't he? In this, uh, that's right. A fantastic turn as the Bishop of uh, London by uh, Denham Elliott, who runs a sort of 
homoerotic boxing know, gym for fantastic. for young men who <laughs> like saying punch each other. I know, I know, I do, I do like to see young boys boxing with each other or something. He says, and everything's a sort of cricket analogy, isn't it? I'm yeah. going to pull you a bit of a tricky one now, which is very Palin, very, very Michael Palin. But it looks glorious. It, it looks beautiful, the whole film. Yeah, it it's does. By Richard Longcrane, who I think is one of our underrated sort of workman-like directors in British cinema. Mm. Who did well, things like Wimbledon, didn't he? And, uh, and other films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have time to go into that now, sadly. But Richard III. Um but yeah, and it's yeah, I suppose, and that that brilliant scene where um, everyone's terribly embarrassed because the the old boys died, which seems like very bad manners to die in the middle of a <laughs> in the middle of a conversation. Well, it's 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 actually Palin's making his kind of loud pitch because you know the added comedy that he's she he has been informed by his wife that he's a bit deaf, so he's roaring this appeal for funds, uh, for for the fallen women, and the the guy just dies during this tedious. Um, rant by michael palin uh the great sort of comic physical comedy that's happening at the time is that you know he dies the doctor is called his body is taken out of the room all all without interrupting michael palin's appeal for funds the barriers of ignorance. Mr. Fortis, and smash the barriers of yes i'm awfully sorry but my husband has died died yes you know his heart has ceased to yes yes i Oh, dear. I'm terribly sorry, because he would have loved to have heard what you were saying. Oh, no, no, I'm the one who should be sorry. I do apologise. Oh, don't worry, Mr Fortescue. These things happen, and he has had a jolly good innings. I, I'm most frightfully sorry. I, I shall be going. Oh, no, it's I who should be sorry. Oh, no, no, it was I'm really sorry. a breach of, of manners, oh, no. because he's very forgetful. Oh. And he probably forgot you were there. Well, I think when one's dying, one, one does uh, tend to become forgetful. He's never done it before. <laughs> no, it, it is wonderful. And actually, they, the other thing which I thought was quite interesting was the, was the chemistry between uh, Palin and Maggie Smith. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Exceptionally good, actually. I mean, she was quite, you know, saucy. Even in the scenes when she's supposed to be the lady, whatever it is. It's quite saucy, I thought. The way she delivered those lines was quite, yeah. I'm going to say the word saucy again because it's a good word. Yeah, well, but, but partic- and, and you're, you're just a bite out of the 70s, so why, why yeah. wouldn't you say saucy? <laughs> 1983 is perfect. Well, I don't know because actually, I as I was watching it, I was thinking in, in, a, in an odd sort of way, this is like a very posh carry-on film in a way. <laughs> yes. Because it's it's doing all of the thing, you know, there's, there's the sort of terror of, of actual sex and yeah. all of those things, you know, the sort of sexual terror and the and yeah. this moral uh, equivalence all the time, and you know how and 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 actually, it's just a, like a really posh carry on movie. In an odd yes, no, the, uh, that's really interesting. And, and the character that Michael Horden plays, the totally incompetent butler who keeps um, getting lost. I mean, that's the other delight about seeing is you just say, oh god, this class. Trevor Howard, Denham Elliott, and um, Michael Horden as as the uh, forgetful butler, um, who who comes into the bedroom at one point, uh, as the latest example of him going to the wrong place at the wrong time, starts to get undressed while Michael Palin is under the bedclothes with the lady of the house played by Maggie Smith. There's an innocence about it, um, uh, that um. You know, and a sort of decency about it. I, I, you know, 
you're right, it has its own little moral universe there. So it's not... Um, there's a kind of strong message of um, sort of love and, t- and tolerance as well as, you know, deep silliness behind it, isn't there? But it doesn't overplay the silliness. That's the thing. It's right. Which is uh, which is what makes it work. But no, I actually enjoyed it. And 86 minutes. I mean, come on. We need more 86 minute films, don't we? But it did. Um, uh, it cost two million pounds to make and made 7.2 million at the box office. So this is what Handmade did. They started off really well and they made mm. all these great films like Long Good Friday and uh, The Missionary. And they and then they uh, Palin did another one, didn't he, with Maggie Smith, which was uh, the Alan Bennett thing. Um, Private, Private function. Yeah. It was great. Get your foot off my car. <laughs> he's a chiropodist, isn't he? He's got the big foot. <laughs> oh, the thing I remember about Brilliant. Function is the trailer, which was narrated by the trailer voiceover, was done by Alan Bennett. And the last bit in the trailer, it's always stuck with me. I still use it now when people I quote films is um, come early to avoid getting a seat by the toilet. <laughs> Brilliant. Which is, which is great. But then they did this thing British cinema has often done where they think, oh, we're doing really well here. We can rule the world. And then they made Shanghai Surprise with Madonna and... Um, Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Oh. And all what a stinker. Out. Yeah. 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 Which cost it... 17 million to make. <laughs> which, wow. You know, which in 19, whatever it was, 1984 or whatever it was, but just a stupid amount of money for a British production company who'd been doing really well, making small, entertaining, reasonably successful British films, which presumably the broadcasters had money in as well, I would think, you know, Channel 4 or the BBC or somebody for their for their license fee. So everybody was doing very well. Thank you very much. British cinema. And then, oh, no, we're going to do this big thing because we want to rule the world. Well, it's, it's funny, uh, I suppose it's a well-worn uh, path, isn't it? I'm just thinking of Ardman as well and their unhappy relationship with the big studios uh, when they got got involved and ended up retreating back to where they were comfortable. Yeah, Goldcrest did it, didn't they? I can't remember what the film was that ruined them. They did well with Gandhi and then something happened to them. I can't remember what it was. And, of course, famously Palace Pictures, who oh, thought yeah. they did the similar thing. Great little British films, you know, um, uh, Company of Wolves and all that kind of stuff, really interesting yeah. films. And then they made Absolute Beginners, which completely sunk them. <laughs> it cost all this money and it completely sunk them. And the film that would have saved them, which was, um, oh, oh, ah. Uh, Crying yeah. Game? Yes, thank you. I'm just thinking, it was uh, with Neil and I, was with Noel, made as well, wasn't yeah, it? That was, yeah, with Noel. Uh, they made 23 films actually in the end. Time Bandits, I think, was their most financially successful which was a uh, tremendous piece of work um but if you read the um some of bruce robinson's reflections um on uh, making with Nil and i there was you know a lot of pressure on them by i'm trying to remember they get george harrison's partner it was o'brien wasn't it um, yeah dennis o'brien dennis o'brien yeah who kind of uh, quailed at some of the uh, ideas and the scenes and um, with Nil and I thinking, you know, this is going to be box office death. Mm. Um, I mean, he, he was only half wrong, but um, it, certainly not with the quality. Yeah. No, it wasn't a massive hit, but it did well enough and mm. is the most quotable film uh, probably in cinema history, possibly. Um, 
and gets funnier actually every time i think it does get funnier every time you see it are you a fan of with oh i absolutely love it i love it i mean even though you know as you kind of um, get older and see more and more films you realize that structurally it's all over the place oh yeah you know, you know it really is but as a sort of collection of absolutely brilliant scenes superbly acted and scripted it's there's very little to touch it isn't there do you like vegetables I've always been fond of root crops, but I only started to grow last summer. I happen to think the cauliflower more beautiful than the rose. Chin chin. Do you grow? Geraniums. Oh, you little traitors. I think the carrot infinitely more fascinating than the geranium. Mm. The carrot has mystery. Flowers are essentially tarts. Prostitutes for the bees. There is, you will agree, certain je ne sais quoi, un so very special about a firm young carrot. Mm, excuse me. Do help yourselves another but, drink. But then, then they, because they also finance Robinson's follow-up. I don't know if you've ever seen that called um, How to Get Ahead in Advertising. Oh, this is Richard E. Grant again, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, where he has this giant boil on the side <laughs> of his neck that talks to him. Yeah. It was never going to be a commercial success, was it? It's a difficult sell, let's be honest. So, uh, yeah, and then the other film from 19, that particular date, 1983, Tootsie, that's a whole other mm. game of uh, whatever. So that did, um, well, this is week number. Now, so we were, we were beginning to run films for a long time at that point. It's a bit difficult to explain without being really, really boring about it, but really through the 60s and 70s, films only played seven days. That's all they did. Right. And they needed more business. They came back. Which you could do. Okay. All oh, right. There right. wasn't television. There wasn't video. There was, you know, well, there was television, but films were years old. Yeah. You know, I remember being very excited in uh, what the early eighties because Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid had finally arrived on BBC One. You know. Yeah. It I took mean, a long time. And I suppose yeah, there, there was the, on Saturday afternoons. Um, uh, you know, in the seventies, BBC Two would have a lot of um, old Holly. So we got to see lots of great. Uh, you know, Hollywood noir uh, stuff from the mm. 30s and, and 40s, but, you know, stuff that people would never, we would be no market for in the, in the cinema. But thank goodness we've got that little bit of education early on. Oh, absolutely. I think that's a real shame that we don't see old films. I mean, Sunday afternoon was the only thing to do, wasn't it? There was nothing else to do other than to watch Mildred Pierce on BBC. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing Double Indemnity and, uh, as a kid and going, oh my God. I assumed that films, all films would be as good as this right. and as kind of emotionally terrifying. Well, my mother had a thing for the big Warner Brothers melodrama. So we had Mildred Pierce and Random Harvest and all those kind of, you know, Greer Garson. Yeah. But Tootsie had run for, so we'd been playing Gandhi for four weeks, which is unheard of. So, wow. yeah, that's what I was saying. So a film would play for seven days. He never thought, you know, the, what, the, what the phrase we use now is a holdover. You say, well, we'll hold it over. Well, nobody held films over. They just didn't because you had a monthly program and yeah. it was all in the monthly program. And if it took a lot of money, you went, well, that took a lot of money. Maybe we'll bring it back. You didn't think oh, I've got to hold on to this to, to, to milk it for as long as I can. Yeah, and, and push other stuff out of the way, I guess. No, yeah, no, no, it didn't happen. And also there were less actual physical copies of the film in those days. Right. So, um, 
you know, there were 30, 40 prints and they would make their way around the country. So there'd be a North London release, a South London release, a Midlands release, a Scottish release, uh, you know, and, and everyone had to have their time. So a film would take ages to get around the country. I mean, I, I, inconceivable today. But by the early 80s, we were starting to run films for multi-weeks. And Gandhi was one of them that came in before that. But Tootsie was massive, absolutely massive. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven weeks, which in 1983 was, wow. was pretty much unheard of. And the week of the 28th of April, uh, and this is the other tragedy, I, I'm not tragedy, the, the, the shame, if you're not shame, uh, there's a better word. But anyway, uh, it, we had 864 admissions in that week. Great. Uh, and it filled up every single night because we were once nightly. We just showed the film once nightly. That was it. Okay. And so there was no opportunity for a film that big to do to late night or something. Up, yeah, or, or six o'clock even. The six oh, of course, o'clock. yes. You know, six and eight, we'd have filled twice. But no, it was once nightly. That was it. The building was open from oh, 7.30 at night till 11, 11 at night. That was it. The rest, of the, the rest of the time, the entire building was unused. It always struck me as slightly odd. It was, did, did you ever have a discussion with them about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, because we had to, you know, preserve cost we had to save save money because if you because also to be fair 1983 is just about on the cusp of the lowest point of admissions in the uk yeah. ever, which was 1984 when we hit 50 million admissions 49.8 or something million admissions in a year when you consider in 1948 there was a thousand million admissions <laughs> wow yeah I that mean, was that the place when suddenly um, cinemas became carpet warehouses and so forth, didn't it? Uh, that that was all happening all the way through the seventies and into the eighties. Mm. And bingo, obviously, was the other thing, wasn't it? I mean, bingo halls are now being turned back into cinemas, hilariously. But um, you know, bingo was the thing. And uh, but they were these barns, and, and and they were horrible places to go. A lot of them, weren't they? I mean, to be honest, yeah. Odeon and ABC had cut these things up into horrible orange painted boxes and they weren't pleasant i mean no, and, I, and then you could hear that was the thing you could hear the soundtrack of a film you'd ever already seen coming <laughs> yeah. through to one you were watching and so you, half of your mind was imagining this kind of uh love scene or terrible fight uh while your eyes were seeing what was currently in front of you which was something entirely unrelated yeah no it was it was horrible it was actually 84 was the turning point because that's when um, AMC came over and they built uh, the point at Milton Keynes, the first multiplex in the UK. So it was the Americans came over in 84 and that was the turning point. So we'd hit the low point And then when they opened the multiplex in Milton Keynes, it started to go the other way when people started to build multiplexes. So we were here right in the deep, dark horribleness, but this film Tootsie was a bit of a bright spot. So it was full up. And is it, I mean, it's got to be one of the most perfect scripts ever written, hasn't it? I don't know. What do you think? Mm. Well, it's up there with When Harry Met Sally, I think, and not dissimilar in the sense that um, it just, there's no flab on it at all. It's just fantastically um, paced, um, but every line is a a winner and serves a, a, a purpose. And some of the characterizations is, is are some of the characterizations are a bit dated now. I suppose the TV producer who's leching after the Jessica Lange character and treats her really badly. Um, actually, I'm going to revise my opinion. 
No, actually, it's it is perfect. <laughs> it's right because because that that is the way that executives tr- treated women in those days. That's what it would have been like in nineteen eighty four. So I think it's perfectly perfectly acceptable. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. he'd made a bit of a career, Dabney Coleman, out of doing that. He'd done it a few couple of years before in um, nine to five. Very similar sort of a character. Um, and it is. It I I always think it's one of the most. It, it it's like a mach- again a machine. It, it's like a Rolls Royce of a script it sort of it, it clicks and whirs so agreeably yeah you know, it's i mean whether audiences sit and watch it like that i uh, i i, I <laughs> let's hope not you'd be out of business quickly what a joyless night out appreciating the tiny well, nuances yeah well i was in 1984 i was uh 22 22 years old so actually in april 20 uh, 83 i'd have been uh 20 years old, actually, 20 years old. I was, I was 21 in, in 83. But it was when I really first started to uh, be able to articulate what it was like for an audience. Ah. And, and I, because I was in the projection box, I showed it every night. And um, I would deliberately go in to the theatre every night and stand at the back and watch that sequence when he comes down the stairs you know the live sequence it's it's a perfect example of how cinema works and only cinema works because Pollock had and 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 Hoffman have you in the palm of their hands that you and they're not letting you go it's an extraordinary moment and what makes it so joyful is the audience because which you can never replicate at home you can't you really can't and you could feel the palpable tension every because it was a full house, and as he comes down the stairs, and and you can feel this tension in the audience. It's extraordinary, you know, and he he starts to rip his um, eyelashes off and say, "For I'm not Emily Kimberly, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm her brother, <laughs> brother Dwayne." <laughs> <laughs> and there was this almighty explosion in the you could hear a pin drop, and then. Yeah chaos reigned it was just extraordinary yeah. this 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 release of tension from the audience was palpable it was amazing and you never heard that brilliant line that the old boy says about does jeff know <laughs> <laughs> people were still laughing and wow it, you know it was, and, and jeff was the lecherous old doctor he was always trying to yeah, kiss well, but jeff is his flatmate isn't it bill murray is jeff Oh, oh God! Beg your pardon. Of course, yeah. yeah. And he, and the old boy, even tried, better. Yeah, he was trying to get Dorothy to have a snog with Dorothy. Oh, that's and he, right. And he turns up at the flat, doesn't he, to find Bill Murray there, and he's rather yeah. wow. So when he when he reveals himself to actually be a man, <laughs> his first response is, "Does Jeff know?" He fears for poor Jeff. <laughs> Do you know, I've just, but, it, yeah, it's so yeah, fantastic I, just, because it, it gives the, um, it is a wonderful comment, it's a wonderful commentary on um, the relationships between men and women at that time and sort of expectations. And it was almost, you know, uh, it was roles within roles. And I think that was, as you say, that big liberating laugh guffaw when uh, Dustin Hoffman pulls off the wig and, and reveals that he's a man uh, pretending to be a female actress in this daily sitcom. Uh, the whole film is full of stuff. The fact that 
Jessica Lange's father falls in love with Dustin Hoffman as as the woman and has some very lovely tender scenes but at the same time you can just see the fear in Dustin Hoffman's eyes as this guy genuinely falling in love and realising there's going to be a terrible reckoning this is not going to end well um, aside from that jeopardy I think Sidney Pollock is just superb at bringing that sort of the neediness of the performer wanting work and I, I guess we all relate to that that thing just kind of why will no one let me do what I want to do <laughs> Margaret get him back will I cut myself off now what is it Michael Terry Bishop is doing Iceman Cometh right didn't you promise to send me up for that part am I wrong didn't you tell me I was gonna I was gonna get a reading for that part aren't you my agent too? Stuart Pressman wants a name Michael oh I see Terry Bishop is a name no 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 Michael Dorsey is a name when you want to send a stake back Michael Dorsey is a name okay wait 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 I'm you always do this to me. That was a thing to say, and I know it. Let me start all over again. Terry Bishop is on a soap opera. Millions of people watch him every day. He's known. And that qualifies him to ruin Iceman Cometh? You know, I can I'm act circles around that guy. I already played that part Stuart in Minneapolis. Wants a name, that's his affair, okay? I know this is going to disgust you, Michael, but a lot of people are in this business to make money. Well, don't make me out like I'm some money. flake, George. I am in this business to make money, too. Really? Yes. Harlem Theater for the Blind, Strindberg in the Park, the People's Workshop in Syracuse. Okay, now, wait a minute. I did nine plays in eight months up at Syracuse. I happen to get great great reviews from the New York critics. Not that that's why I did it. Of course not. God forbid you should lose your standing as a cult failure. You think I'm a failure, George? Is that what you're saying to me? I, I will not get sucked into this conversation, Michael. Okay. I will not. Okay, look, I sent you a play to read that my roommate wrote. It had a great part in it for me. Did you read it? Where the hell do you come off sending me your roommate's play for you to star in? I'm your agent, not your mother. I'm not supposed to find plays for you to star in. I'm supposed to field offers, and that's what I do. Field offers? Who told you that? The agent fairy? That was a significant piece of work. I could have been terrific in that play. Michael, nobody's going to do that play. Why? Because it's a downer, that's why. Because oh. nobody wants to produce a play about a couple that moved back to Love Canal. But that actually happened. Who gives a shit? Nobody wants to pay $20 to watch people living next to chemical waste. They can see that in New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, what um, what side of a brain must have Sidney Pollock have had to be able to um, just hmm. be so kind of uh, commanding in all parts Mind of that film? Is the, is the word exactly right? It's commanding. No one will hire you. You know, what about the cut? No, you, you, we think they went three days over because you, 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 you wouldn't sit down. Well, I was a tomato. Tomatoes don't sit down. That's what I told them. You know, and he, has, <laughs> has, so that brilliant line he says about, um, uh, I was a better man with you as a woman. <laughs> And yeah, I was as a man. I just thought it's it's kind of cheesy, isn't it? But it's it's wonderful. It is. It is. And uh, I mean, the other Bill Murray is superb as the um as the sort of flatmate who's kind of us in a way, looking at the ridiculousness <laughs> of what Dustin Hoffman's attempting to do. Yes. And it's it, Terry Gar is is his who's absolutely brilliant. I mean, what a cast! They're all just yeah. who and else would you want in your comedy? on the top of their game as well yeah. uh, and uh, you know that again it's a line sadly all my all the pithy things i say are from films it's kind of sad isn't it um hazards of the job kevin yeah, i'd say but it's a truism when she says you know i just have to feel like this until i don't feel like this anymore <laughs> <laughs> which is a great oh it's brilliant but uh, no, she's wonderful, Terry Girl. We actually sat through uh, Young Frankenstein the other night. She's hilarious in that as well. Oh, she's, she's really good. I've I've seen um, uh, there's some nice outtakes of her mm. and uh, Jane Wilder in uh, from Young Frankenstein trying to cope with Marty Feldman. Yes, uh, re upstaging them wildly. 
um, like biting into Madeline Kahn's fur while she's standing at the front door as as the rich returning wife. Yes, Madeline. Oh yeah, the uh, um, uh, get the bags. Okay, you take the blonde. I'll take the one <laughs> in the Toyben. Yeah, because I think he improvised that, so he did, I believe. Yes, yes. He, yeah, he just he went to the Groucho's. But um, yeah, so uh, that was well. Tootsie is a film I can watch pretty much any time. Yeah. Even with that cheesy song in it, which is you know, it's okay. <laughs> you know the other thing about um, Tootsie is one of those films that, um, and this is you know speaking as a middle aged man with um, kids who are who are getting ever older. Yes. If from an early age, I was able to sit and watch that with, um, you know, four or five year olds who absolutely oh, really? loved it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they didn't get, uh, you know, a lot of sort of, um, you know, the, the sexual currents that um, adults would. But they just loved the, the it had as much sort of emotional heft for them as Toy Story. Yes. OK. Now I can see that. It's, a, it's from the heart, I believe. I think yeah. it's an honest and from the heart film. Yeah. I was I was just gonna look at very quickly, you said about nineteen sixty what was the other one you said? Sixty seven. Oh, oh yeah. Which was a week where we did um Good the Bad and No, no, it couldn't have been nineteen sixty seven. It must have been nineteen seventy seven. Oh, was it yes, they were re they were re releases our second time around as yeah. as your parents. Wow. You know the temptation, Kevin, when you said, oh, I'm going to send you over a um, uh, a spreadsheet of uh, every week and all these fantastic films. It it does appeal to the um, inner pretentiousness or maybe the outer pretentiousness right. because suddenly you think, well, no, I'll talk about something that, uh, you know, we're very art house and I can unfold the nuances. Uh, and then you think, no, let's just do two really great films oh, like no, no, Tootsie no. and The Missionary. How about this for a week? I'm sorry, I'm going to go off at a tangent here, but how about this for a week? In 1974, April the 14th, four days on Italian job and Monte Carlo or bust. <laughs> Three days on airport with two mules for Sister Sarah. Wow. And then Thursday, Friday and Saturday afternoons, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That's a fantastic that, one. What about I'd, that? Wow. I'd go and see all those films now. I know, but the, I mean, really? was that only three or four days per, per yeah, film? Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Italian job, which always did really well. Now, we were only one screen then, so we had 310 screens. Ah, uh, okay, got you. But, you know, so April, so it was probably Easter. So you had Willy Wonka for three matinees. That was all. And then I remember, I do remember sitting in the circle watching Airport and Two Mules with Sister Sarah. But Italian job, we had 180 Admissions on Sunday, then 268, 185, 246. Now, this is 1974. How old is the Italian job? By 1974, it's like 1968 <laughs> or something, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And, do you know, actually, funnily enough, I mean, it's a bit of an outlier because we played it again about a year ago, maybe two, and we had to put it on two screens. Would you really? Believe? Yeah. Well, we sort of tied it in with that um, Michael Caine documentary, the My Generation Oh yeah, and do then you, Italian job as well. Do you think that the Italian job has become um, a little bit like uh, we'll meet again, uh, or yeah. one of those? Maybe it, it it just becomes a slightly ritualistic thing to go and see, because it is uh, a bit it is a bit creaky. It does creak a bit, and actually, it, it it yeah, it does, it does. I agree with you, but it's still a moment in time, isn't it? I think that's the thing about it. Yeah. 
for certainly for British cinema, it's a moment in time. For one for one brief moment, we felt like we were on top <laughs> of the world. <laughs> yes, yeah, we could do thrilling stunts on roofs with lots of cars. Yeah. But you know, the swinging sixties. I can't find this anywhere this week. Yeah. Oh, it's funny, now that you say that though about um, yeah because of sort of the ambition of it and the fact that it was abroad how glamorous yeah. and um, and uh, the before vehicles we had seen were just kind of those woolsies black woolsies with police yeah. in pursuit after criminals you know, know. with the bells ringing on them <laughs> I remember my um, uh, the reason my great grandfather then grandfather they sort of went out of business uh was because um the cin- their cinemas in belfast and the surrounding areas wouldn't show films that were they considered risque oh and, and i mean he, he was kind of given that you know he, he was born um in the late 1800s and so found himself owning cinemas in the 1930s 20s 30s and 40s and he, he had a very so Whereas he would show these, um, you know, Gainsborough pictures would be as racy as he would get with women with lots of Victorian dresses and things they, like that. They were uh, quite racy, actually. They? Oh, were they? Oh, yeah. Well, you have a body. Gainsborough, space. cool. Yeah, no. <laughs> Well, they were. They, they, there was a whole. It was a whole slew of bodice rippers. They were called. Oh, really? Well, that that wouldn't well, have been yeah. him then. Yeah, heaving, that, that... heaving bosoms. You know, um, yeah. Margaret Lockwood and James Mason. I mean, real. Kind oh of, yes, um, yes. You know, real horrible sort of misogynistic slapping women down stuff. Yeah. Like, in it. And um, yeah, they made a fortune out of those Gainsborough pictures with the lady yeah, but... at the beginning that would tip her hat. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but um, and there were some of them were filmed in Lime Grove, the old they BBC were. Lime Grove series, mm-hmm. weren't they? But I um anyway, just the the long and short of it was that his insistence on not moving with the times uh meant that fewer and fewer people came to see their uh oh, yeah. films uh and um they sold out to the dreaded rank in the uh-huh. end. Yes. For for not I, very much money. Well, no. one of the reasons one why we moved um down to um Sussex from uh, West London was because um your cinema was there and we thought isn't that gorgeous? We are sorted. We might be living nominally in the countryside, but look at this beautiful uh, turn of the century um, cinema that we can go along to and um and the program was um. A mix of uh, mainstream entertainment and high quality art house. So yeah. you know we well, were nice put, thing to yeah, mm. and it's it's survived against all the odds. I just hope it survives this. You know that's the thing. It's uh, this. It's never quite had to put. Uh, we've never had this. Well, obviously no one's had this before. Mm. Well, apart from you know, what was it? The flu epidemic of whatever it was. Presumably that closed cinemas. I don't know. What nineteen eighteen or whatever yeah. the Spanish flu, yeah, possibly nineteen eighteen though, yeah. The only time uh, cinemas were closed for the first week of World War Two, and that's the only time subsequently that they've been closed. That was it, just for a week. Yeah, they suddenly wow. realized, hang on a minute, <laughs> friends, yeah. uh, friends circuses. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can't have the populace running around without Clark Gable or uh, you know, yeah, um, what was her name up north? Oh, jeez. Um, so you know, our oh, Jesse, our <laughs> Jesse. I beg your pardon. You're thinking Jesse about Matthews. Toy Story. Oh, Jesse Matthews, oh, right. fantastic. 
Play us out with a bit of Mrs. Mills. Yeah, she was a huge star, Jesse Matthews. Yes, she was. That was, in the, that was in the days when you could make a film uh, that could recoup in the northeast of England only. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Yeah, it didn't matter what it did in Surrey. It was. It was. Uh, yeah. The dark satanic mills were no of no interest to them. It was. It was all up in the northeast. I suppose that that was the yeah because people just went in their legions, didn't yeah. they? Well, they went. They didn't matter. It didn't matter what was on. They went on a Wednesday and a, and a yeah. Saturday, whatever, and that's what it was. Yeah, and that's why cinemas were so big. Uh, you know, my old man used to go. Well, they built them big to get me in on Saturday night. That's what they did. Yeah, and the idea that you queued outside and waited for a seat to become free. You tell the kids of today that. Okay, well, it's been a lovely chat. Thank you very much. I sound a bit Alan Partridge then, didn't I? It was a lovely and... chat. <laughs> Not Alan Partridge enough, sadly. Um, no, no. Um, no, Kevin, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved catching up with you. And, um, you know, I could do it for many hours talking about the joy of cinema, particularly with um, somebody who's um, kind of got movies in his blood and has done the, the proper um, from knee-high to the projectionist right up to the present day. So, And, and I, I so hope that like people come back in their droves and... Um, you know, the Oakfield cinema is, is held aloft and uh, polished as the jewel that it is again. So. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind. Thank you, Peter. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. Um, and thanks again to Peter for being so generous with his time during this difficult period. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, a few loose ends to tie up because um, I, as usual, veered all over the show pulling dates out of my bottom. Uh, the Good, the Bad and the Ugly week I was looking for was the 24th of April, 1977. Uh, it was a week that also included One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Um, again, they were both old films then, particularly The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, which was 11 years old, having been made in 1966. The Italian Job was made in 1969, but you probably knew that. And the film that sunk Goldcrest, of course, was Revolution in 1985. Hugh Hudson's massive critical and commercial flop, costing $28 million to make and grossing under $1 million in the US. The experience was so traumatic that Al Pacino gave up acting in films for over four years. Wow. Uh, thanks for listening uh, and thanks again to Peter do drop me a line at Kevin Markwick on Twitter or you can get me on podcast at picturehouseupford.com I'd love to hear from you uh, also like, subscribe and all that stuff and I'll see you next time play us out Mrs Mills Mrs Mills